Welcome to Because the Beatles, the podcast about the Beatles, everything about the Beatles 24-8. I'm Allison. And I'm Erica. And before we start, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or stream us on Spotify. And if you're enjoying BC the Beatles, feel free to leave us a preferably five-star review so other Beatle maniacs can find us. Yes. And also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'll be posting videos, photos, and more from this episode and beyond. You can always also email us at bcthebeatlesgmail.com. Yes, you can. Yes. Yeah, so- John, this is your final word. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess we should start out the episode by explaining <laughs> what the hell is going on. Um, so currently, y'all, I am sat at LAX waiting to board a plane. So this is a little like... You know, because the Beatles on location. Yeah, we're going global, dude. It's all happening. We were bi-coastal. We've always been bi-coastal. And now we're global. World domination. Exactly. So I'm, you know, I'm sitting here waiting to board a plane to Italy. Very exciting. Oh, my God. Christmas in Italy. I know. I'm so excited. I've never been. I'm like really, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I just want to eat all the pasta and oh, uh, gelato. You will. So I'm catching a flight first to London. And uh, it it kills me a little bit that I'm not gonna be able to get off and do some stuff in London like but whatever I'll I'll blow London a kiss and then I'll be off you'll see London next time I know I know I know (laughs) well I mean you know no spoilers but you know we're planning some pretty exciting stuff for 2020 Erica we sure are yes and we'll have more details for all of you guys in the new year very soon We're going to do a little bit of a holiday episode and then come back with a whole bunch of awesome stuff. Hell yeah. Like, I'm so stoked for this. But yeah, it is the holidays. You ready for the uh, ever-present gift giving? Oh my God. I've done so much shopping at one particular store that I'll get to in a minute. Oh, okay. Well, I'm hoping there's a little something something in there for uh, some of your friends. I don't know if you saw this. So Abbey Road, the studio, released their holiday collection. And the jewelry, oh my God, I'm in love with it. Like they've got all kinds of stuff. They've got scarves. They've got all kinds of like Beatles themed stuff. A lot of it is super unique to like Abbey Road. And and they've collabed with like designers. And there's a really great record player necklace. Oh, I just, mm, I want it so bad. Yeah, I want a few things here too. This is amazing. I love it. But, But more importantly, Erica, and very timely, I need to know about the thing that you went to shopping related. Please tell me everything. Sony and Apple and the Beatles came up with a pop-up shop this year in New York City in Soho. So they teamed up with the Thread Shop, which is a subsidiary of Sony that develops like artist-themed stores and merch. Um, I-, I know they have like a Dylan, a Bob Dylan shop. They have a lot of things, and they developed this n- some new Beatles products specifically. They say for the North American audience. So there's a bunch of new stuff, including toys, turntables, an eight thousand dollar pinball machine. That kind of oh wow. <laughs> So Just, budget, yeah. Budget. It actually does go from ev- for everybody's budget. There are some li- little things like pendants and charms, but you know, then there's a pinball machine. That's amazing. I want to know. I want to know though what makes this specific to like the North American market. I'm not sure. Most of the things I haven't seen before, but they are billing it as a North American store. So I don't know. But anybody who's out there, if you're not American. Let us know if you get this stuff. Right now, I'm seeing it at usamerch.thebeatles.com. Oh, I see. Okay, so it's not so much. See, I took it as like, 
stuff that they think like Americans would like, not so much like stuff that's only available in America. So that's why I was like very confused. Yeah, it's, it's a Beatles theme. Big Mac. <laughs> it's you know stuff only in America. Yes, exactly. Like, cowboy boots. Exactly. You know. Oh my God. Yeah. Speaking of, well, I don't know who want to cut this out, but speaking of Big Macs, uh, this is a very historical night that we're recording this. It is on. Wow. It is. Trump was impeached tonight. Oh. <laughs> Speaking of Big Macs. Speaking of Big Macs. Legit. Legit. That reminded me. Anyway, back to Beatles merch. That's hilarious. I'm leaving it in. Happy impeachment. Okay, Okay, good. Happy impeachment, y'all. Anyway, um, back to Beatles merch, though. Anyway, Beatles merch. The fun part about this is... Not only the merch, but they made it into a store, which is very much like an Instagrammable type of experience, like kind of any pop-up shop or event marketing type thing is. So, you know, you walk in and they're little alcoves that are decorated for different eras of the Beatles. So there's a Sgt. Pepper area and a yellow submarine. There's a Ringo-style drum kit seated around a replica of the Ed Sullivan set, you know, like with the little arrows. And it's a real drum kit. You can actually sit on it and play it. A lot of great photo ops. Walls were decorated with all kinds of vintage postcards and posters and everything. And there's some really cool new pieces like Beatles cookie cutters. Perfect for the holidays, and I'm super excited about them. I need to know what these cookie cutters are, though. Like, what shapes are they? Abbey Road shapes. Beatles at Abbey Road shapes. Oh, so the actual Beatles crossing Abbey Road. Yeah. That's amazing. They're so cute. They didn't sell it, but there was an opportunity to get a custom gift wrap, and the gift wrap was a collage of early Beatles tickets and super early black and white ads. So they didn't sell that? For five bucks, you could get your stuff gift wrapped, but you couldn't like buy a roll. Oh, I see. I see. But that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it was cool. And there was like a tote bag that was the cover of the, the, the pantomime Christmas album. So there was a couple. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, there were some really nice like deep cut sort of things. Beatles music obviously plays throughout the store. You can play the pinball machine. That's really cool. And a special surprise for me was that there's a short documentary that plays on a loop and it features a friend of the pod and Beatles YouTuber, Christine Summer, talking about her fabulous Beatles collection. Oh my God. And it's so cute. That's so cool. Yeah. And she's there with like her boyfriend and her little dog who I think is named Lennon. So very cute. Oh, and, that's adorable. And it's just like her showing her absolutely astounding Beatles collection and talking about the impact of the Beatles on the next generation who are really the kind of people who would probably be visiting a New York City pop-up shop. So it's a really nice tie-in to next gen, second gen, third gen, fourth gen Beatles fans. That's so exciting. Uh, Congrats, Christine. I know she's been really excited. She's been posting about it on her Instagram and stuff. And it's so exciting to see her, you know, being approached by this. Yeah. You know, Endeavor. And she's so cool. She's such an enthusiastic fan. She's so emblematic of like that next gen enthusiasm. It's, it's that's really exciting. That they're embracing that. It was awesome. It was kind of like her boyfriend was there, like talking about like the impact of like this huge collection on him. And it was pretty funny. <laughs> it's so. like, yeah, I got to live with this. <laughs> Whatever. You should be so lucky, buddy. Yeah. So it's. <laughs> Probably not going to be there much longer. The shop is only running through December 22nd, but if you can't make it, do not worry. As I mentioned before, all of the new merch is online and for sale at usamerch.thebeatles.com. So check it out. Get yourself a late Christmas present, early 2020. Happy New Year gift. 
yeah, dude, treat yourself. Well, I'm so glad you got to go. I'm so jealous that wasn't here in LA, but um, I'm super, super stoked. We'll have to post some photos. Did you take photos? I took photos. I took videos. Yeah. <gasps> yes. Okay. We will post that shit everywhere because that's awesome. And it makes me think of like the Beatles stuff I got, you know, when I was a kid or like for me, I had a lot of Beatles memories around the holiday time, like just getting the CDs. I remember getting like Paul McCartney's Wingspan book oh one God, year yes. and I was so excited. Well, the biggest thing of the holidays a long time ago was the anthology that came out right around Thanksgiving. You're talking about the book, right? When they first aired on TV, they happened around like the Christmas break. Okay. And then like Thanksgiving. And then after that, all that stuff came out. So I always think of the anthology and I think of the holiday times because at that time, like it was an event. Like I remember sitting down with my dad and watching it during Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people talk about that. I was a little behind, not so much in age, but in my Beatles fandom. And oh my God, in February, it's going to be 20 years in my Beatles fandom. Holy I'm shit. so excited. Holy shit. That's insane. Yay. Um, no, yeah. To- I, I feel like I remember the book coming out when it was cold though. Yeah, that might have come out a little bit later. Maybe. Yeah, I think you're right. It didn't come out at the same time. I know that for a fact. Whenever I got Beatles stuff, I, I was always really impressed because my mom was not a Beatles fan. So whenever she, like, did good, <laughs> you know, it got me and, you know, did well and got me stuff. I was, like, super impressed and, you know, won her kudos. Um, oh, my God. I remember one year for Christmas, she got me. Do you remember, well, the cover of Driving Rain oh, and yeah, Paul hell and that, yeah. that GD watch that he uh, had that took photos? Uh-huh. That was the height of, like, year 2000 technology. Oh, hell yeah. Well, I begged my mom for that, and she got it for me for Christmas one year. It was my big, big Christmas gift. Oh, my um, God. I know. And I wore that thing forever and I felt like such a baller and yeah, I would take pictures with it all the time. And I felt like Paul and you know, that was still like one of my most special Christmas gifts. I think I love that. I'm so jealous of 20 years ago. You I know, right? I'm jealous of me too. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get a big Beatles gift for Christmas? I remember being like super little and getting the first time they came out on CD. Because I was a weird kid, and that's all I wanted was, like, a bunch of Beatles CDs. So I remember getting, like – and they came – remember CDs when they first came out? They came in those, like, big cardboard things? Uh, Yeah, we talk about those all the time at work. I think they're called long boxes. It's, like, to make them the same size as a record, right? Because that's how they were stacking them. Yeah, I don't know what the point was. It seems a little excessive. Maybe it was to make them the same height as the record. There was a lot of cardboard going on that Christmas. So freaking wasteful, (laughs) y'all. I know. (laughs) Well, speaking of amazing merchandise and Beatles memories, today's feature is really fun. We filmed it a while back when we went to the amazing Beatles at the Ridge Festival last fall. The whole festival's theme was Beatles merchandise and memorabilia. And we did a live podcast on the subject of collecting memorabilia from a next-gen fan perspective. But our guest was Terry Crane, who is a dear friend of the podcast now. And um, he and his wife, Linda, were our drivers back and forth to the Ridge. So thank you, guys. Oh, we had so Um, much fun. We had so much fun with them. And Terry, if you're not familiar with his work, he's a collector. And he's also the author of a book that just came out called NEMS and the Business of Selling Beatles Merchandise in the U.S., 1964 to 1966, which is basically about all the officially licensed Beatles merchandise and items during that time in the U.S. It takes readers on a tour of the 150 officially licensed Beatles items uh, that came out in the early days of Beatlemania, which is awesome. A lot of these things, we'd never have seen them before. At least some I of haven't. them are freaking wild, and we'll talk about some of those, but my God. <laughs> yeah. 
this is a great last minute Christmas gift for the Beatles friend in your life. And even if you don't get the book, follow Terry on Instagram, follow him on Facebook. Oh yeah. He, he posts things. I love his, the way he posts because he posts like a photo of the item. And then he's like, you could have worn me in 1964 to bake cookies. I'm a Beatles apron. Like (laughs) it's so good. So much. It's so good. So we had a delightful conversation with Terry. The show ended with some live audience stories about the audiences and their own collections and their own memorabilia and the nature of collections and the nature of memorabilia. So in the spirit of the holidays and of gift giving, we're releasing the show for any of you who may need a few last minute gift ideas. Yeah, have fun um, and have fun trolling eBay looking for these. Yeah. And uh, yeah, enjoy our chat with Terry. So we have a very special guest, surprise guest for some of you. And we'd like to welcome him here to talk about Second gen and third gen Beatles memorabilia, please welcome Terry Crane. Hi, Terry. Hi. How's everybody? Good. How are you? I'm so fortunate to be sitting here between these two lovely ladies. It's true. We're fortunate to have you. So, a little bit about Terry. Terry is a Beatles historian with a special focus on memorabilia and merchandise. His new book, which you can take a look at and purchase back there, is called Mems and the Business of Selling Beatles Merchandise in the U.S. 1964-1966, which is about the officially licensed Beatles items selling in the U.S. during that time. So you'll see Terry again just after us when he gives his keynote as the Ridge's final symposium speaker. But right now, he's joining us to chat about the experience of collecting memorabilia as a next-gen fan, which we define as somebody who was not born yet to experience the Beatles in real time. Which is us, if you can't tell. We were not there. Unfortunately. First of all, just a little bit about your interest in I've always been interested in it, the different items and everything, especially that that first uh, wave of the Beatle items in 64 and 66. Yes, I was around. Yes, I was eight years old, so I didn't collect too much of it when I was eight. Uh, I had older brothers and sisters who had it, all the, the dolls and stuff, and all the posters all over the wall. So that's how I kind of got ingrained in it. Uh, the last few years, I've really got into a lot more. Uh, I started researching a lot of it, and especially when I retired about a year and a half ago, I really got into it because I had the time to really dive into it. Since you're a first-generation fan, how much of the memorabilia did you have as a kid growing up? Uh, not too much at that time. I remember very clearly my sister had the, uh, the George Remco doll, which a lot of people had. Uh, my brother had bought that for her for Christmas, and she was in shock that uh, he actually bought her something for Christmas. That's what it was. And I could see that every day when I'd walk down the hall. I could see it in her room. It always stared at me as I walked down the hall. And went creepy. My, yes, it was, a bit, it was a good creepy. And then, you know, that. so that's really my earliest recollection of the of some kind of item that was associated with this band that was sweeping the world. So what do you think there would be a difference in what it would be to be a collector as a, a latter generation fan versus being first generation? Well, I think now, it, it's interesting now, I think, about the collecting world. Um, it's changed what I have noticed over the years where I could go to conventions and there would be tables and tables full of memorabilia and all that and you, you looked at it and you decided what you want to go. 
when you go now to some of these same big conventions and all that, instead of a place that used to have maybe 20 tables full of this stuff, you may have a place that has four or five tables full of it. And the people who are running these tables are the older generation. And you get the sense that when they start dying out or whatever it is, I don't know if there's anybody behind them coming up to sell at the tables and all. But then on the other hand, you've got the Ebays and you've got all that to where all the generations now, no matter if it's my age or, or you guys' age or whoever it is, you can go out now and get started in this kind of thing by using that platform. For me, I became a Beatles fan around 2000 when I was a kid. Um, and, uh, and I was actually a little bit older, but I was a young teen when I became a Beatles fan. And so that was right around the rise of eBay. So that was really kind of how I, you know, I didn't really get to inherit anything from my parents, my grandparents. My mother hated the Beatles. She tolerated my love for the Beatles. Uh, and she was like in her 20s during the 60s. So I was very like bitter about that. That she didn't go see the Beatles or anybody. So I sort of like set out on my own life about eBay. I initially started buying monkey stuff because I was a big monkey fan. And so I buy, like, I know, blasphemy agent. Um, we learned yesterday that you can't be both, and that was my attitude for a long time. I just thought you couldn't be both, so I hated the Beatles viciously until I didn't anymore. Um, but so I remember buying, like, you know, official Monkey's Fan Club pins and all that, like, just piecemeal. There was really nothing much. And then my first Beatles item I think I bought on eBay, I don't know if it was legit or not, but it was, I think, a poster printed in the 80s. Not flimsy sort of photo paper like you get now, posters that you buy at Target or whatever. It was like heavy cardstocky paper, and it wasn't very practical. It wasn't very pretty. It was sort of like black and white and not amazing, but it was pretty much all you could find around like maybe 1999, 2000, 2001 on eBay for Beatles stuff. So, I, yeah, that was all I had. I started a little bit earlier. I think my, my first real obsession was during the uh, Paul McCartney 1989-1990 World Tour, which was amazing. And I was, a, I was a really little kid, but I feel like, at least for me, the only way to get real-time memorabilia was to follow things like the solo readers. And one thing I've noticed with second gen fans a lot of times is that you can't have an affinity for the solo years in a way that almost rivals our affinity for the Beatles as a group. I did get some inheritance of Beatles, Beatles merch. My dad was a huge, huge Beatles fan, and I was I was very lucky that his dad, my grandfather, was the um, guitar player for the Ray Block Orchestra and Sullivan Show and was there that day. So we we have this this lovely um autograph signed by all four on the back of an old rehearsal call sheet from the day before. So, you know, we have that, we have that little lore of our, you know, of Beatles history in our family. But otherwise, it was really either just, you know, hunting around the memorabilia shops when you could find something like that, or getting into whatever the real-time thing was, you know, whether it was Paul McCartney or it was the Beatles anthology, which was a huge point in our memorabilia careers and our lives because so much rose out. And Terry, I kind of want to ask you about that time. But was there a renaissance of Beatles, or officially sanctioned Beatles items around that time? Yeah, well, yes, there was some renaissance of, over the segments, there was a renaissance of the official stuff. It all, it's, it's just interesting how you have all these different segments that seem to come up, and you can probably plot them on a graph somewhere, where you've got the 64 to 66, 
And to me, there's almost like a defining line drawn right there to the first stuff that came out. And then right after that, you got all the yellow submarine stuff in the 60s, 67, 68, all that kind of stuff. And then all along in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and that, whenever, there's some kind of segment that you can get interested in and get sucked into if you need to, and even the solo stuff, you know, so it, it makes it so neat that, you know, whether you, if you try to do it all, you get very confused about what you're doing and all that, but a lot of people just, they start, well, I'm going to worry about this genre or this genre there, but it, it's neat that even the kids this day and age, they can pick their own because they got all these different things that they can choose to and start getting involved in. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, you mentioned the anthology, Erica. I remember distinctly, I think the first piece of Beatles merch that I bought in the store was at Best Buy okay, um, in Northeast Ohio, where I grew up, and I went to buy the anthology book, but I went there because it came with a t-shirt, and I really wanted that t-shirt. Um, and it wore out, like, within three washes, but I really wanted that. And, you know, I, it got me thinking, like, that was, you know, probably my first piece of that Apple-sanctioned merch. Like, that was official. I'm sure following that I got so much, you know, non-official merch, but I feel like for, you know, maybe second-gen fans, it doesn't matter so much. Like, for me, it's like, I love Apple stuff. I, you know, I think it's cool, but I also think, like, creative stuff fans make themselves, or, like, even if I find something on eBay that I like, it might not be official or have, you know, the provenance, you know, that we talked about last night with Jim Birkenstadt, but does that matter to me? If it's signed, it does. But if it's not, it's, I don't know, do you think that's like a, a hallmark of a second or third or latter gen fan? Do you think first gen fans care more about that, Terry? Uh, first gen fans will, they'll tolerate the rest of this stuff. <laughs> they don't embrace but, it. But they, they, they do embrace it, but, it's, it, but if you're a first gen fan and you were, you were actually collecting it, and I think a lot of times that's the stuff they like. But it, but even now, you know, Mattel's coming out with the with the new little cars and the new little trucks and everything that I've got. It. We it's just neat that that's a whole different genre, and, and now your grandkids can start playing with them, or or you put them away on a shelf or something like that. Uh, but even that that gets them involved now in this entire industry. Another thing I've noticed is the melding of the Beatles fandom into the sort of Comic Con type vibe. So when I go to these conventions and I see these merch tables, you see now the, the pop figures that are a lot of, you know, the Marvel Universe, but they've also got the Beatles, where you see original cells from Yellow Submarine selling right next to, you know, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and things like that. I just think that the draw and the appeal of the entire package, the, the music, I think the Beatles are one of these bands that, especially in the 60s, with all these, all, you know, we're talking about 55 years later, there's so much other things around them that you can get interested in that maybe the Dave Clark Five didn't have, or Herman's Hermes didn't have, or some of the other bands. There's just so much history and interesting history around it that, you know, the music is one thing in, in itself, but there's so much else that goes on around that that allows you to get interested in it. I know that the Beatles have like tight figurines, which if you don't know, they're like little like stout beetle things. Um, when I was uh, to Spencer's Gifts, hey, it's John for Spencer's, um, terrible store, but they had um, the yellow submarine figurines that were like this tall, and they had movable arms. They were, you know, they came with like a sea of holes or something. But it just makes you think, like, go with, going back to the Rumpo doll. It's like all of these sort of pieces recycle sometimes for latter generations and 
you know, I remember buying people's bedding, and I remember, you know, having all this stuff available to me that a lot of Christian fans have, but it was in a different generation. And you can go into the Barnes Noble next to the, is it the Funko Dolls? Next to all the Game of Thrones and everything, they got they got the Beatles sitting right there, and they're probably just as good sellers as, as a lot of them at different times. Yeah, for sure. Now, yesterday you did a great presentation on the way people were licensing things and not licensing things, and suing each other for not licensing things correctly, and it was fascinating. And I'm wondering now, with you know, how much more control does Apple exert over the merchandise that's sold commercially? I think Apple has pretty good control right now. I mean, anytime Apple can write a letter to the Fest for Beetle fans that used to be called Beetle Fest and say, you need to change your name, and they go, okay. And, and I know of other places lately that Apple has sent those letters to, and when you read that letter, it says you need to do this because, and it's signed by Apple, you know, you're gonna do it. Uh, so I think their control is pretty good now. So. A lot of these things you see now, you know, I feel pretty comfortable with when I when I get my Mattel trucks out that well these are Apple sanctioned, so they're gonna be good pretty good quality stuff. Yeah. Do you have you known them to send C and D's to like some like I was just talking about like some creators on Etsy or Redbubble? Because I don't see a lot of beautiful stuff on Etsy. They're probably on the borderline of let's see how much we can do before we get that letter. Okay. That makes sense. I want to ask both of you guys, I'm just curious, what, besides your Beatles autographs, Erica, because we're all very jealous, what are your two most favorite pieces of Beatles memorabilia that you guys own? The first one is the program that I got at the Paul McCartney 1990 World Tour. It's the big one, and he's like, got his amazing mullet and his softener, and it's all brightly colored in the 80s, and it's got a cutout. Does it have like a pattern vest on? Um, uh, yes, it does. It's amazing, and it's still in a drawer in my parents' room, in my, my parents' house, in my old bedroom, and I look at it every single time. I ever I just love it. My other favorite thing, and again, this is Paul McCartney. I got a real thing about Paul McCartney solo, and you got it for me. Did. You got it for me. Was the publicity poster for Bruce McMouse from last January, <laughs> and because it is a piece of, of from now, it's a new thing that references something that I wasn't there for. But by being able to be part of the release, seeing it in the theater, it feels like there's a connection to the event that I think that I don't have for some of the other memorabilia maybe that I buy. I, I don't know. If it's maybe it's more, you know, I don't know if this is just an individual preference, but I feel like the memorabilia that I like is strongly connected with some kind of memory of a physical event or experience based around the Beatles. I'll answer it two ways. My favorite thing that I've got is the Beatles soaking doll right now. I mean, I just love the idea that it used to be full of bubble bath and you, you can take your bath with, with the Beatles, it's pretty cool. You know, I, I, had, I also had Bullwinkle back then, I had Bullwinkle and Rocky and all that stuff, so now I got Ringo uh, right in there that I could do it also. The other way I'll answer this is all right, of, yes, it is. of the first gen items, which is about 150 items, you know, I thought, people will ask me, what's your favorite first gen item? This, this answer is not a cop-out or anything, but actually I like them all. Because to me, they're all some item. Now, I know the record player is worth a, a 
bunch of money, and the handkerchief might not be worth a bunch of money, but to me, they're both the NIMS items that the license that somebody designed. They took the time to do it. It falls into this genre of there's only 150 items, and it's one of those. So setting the cost of it aside, one is just as important and just as, as a favorite as another one to me. That makes a lot of sense. And it's funny because you're both saying things where it is like a piece of a collect a collectible that you have the Beatles, it doesn't matter what it is. It's like Bruce McMouse posted that I got for free, or if it's you know this very valuable Beetle bubble bath container, it's just stuff that's like tied to a certain memory or a certain place, you know, and I don't I mean I guess there are collectors who collect for the sake of collecting and that's fine. You know, collecting for valuable pieces, but I think it's also maybe I know for us it's like this is something that connects us to the Beatles in a way that we could be because we weren't around them, too. Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite? Of yours? I think you do, and I think we're going to hear about it. I think you're going to hear about it anyway. Well, I, you probably know from many of these five people that have called me up exactly uh, <laughs> what you said. Um, I, my favorite Beatle is uh, Brian Epstein. And, uh, anybody shocked? No. Um, and, uh, <laughs> My, I have a very, very good friend named Andrew, shout out, who lovingly got me Brian's autograph uh, at the WFMU Record Fair in New York. Brought it back for me, biggest surprise of my life, lots of tears, so I think that would be it. But I also, I've got to say, like, since I've got me from eBay, I've got Lemon Pies with her Paul album. I love that album so much, it means so much to me. And I bought a couple of the promotional posters, and I have those, and they accidentally sent me two instead of one. But it doesn't matter what it's worth, it's... It, Seeing the flaming pie poster it takes me back to like the summer of like 2001 when it's an album every day, you know? It's it's more than that. And Terry, I want to ask is there a most surprising or strangest piece of Beatles memorabilia that you've come across in your time? There's three or four that are just weird. Oh, it's right. There's one called the, the official license Beatle Twig. And what the twig <laughs> is, it's two <laughs> pieces of. Uh, there's two sticks with two little plastic uh, circles on the top where you put them on the one stick and with the other stick you make the whole thing spin. And God, it has nothing to do with Beatles, but it called it says it flips over the Beatles. And that's that's their, that's how they market it and it's one of the items. There is the official Beatles pom pom that are about three inches wide. There are two black fuzzy balls or whatever and it's got eyeballs on it and you either threw them in the in the air and caught them or you put them on your uh, shirt and you wore them around that's what you did with those and then the hummer was always a weird thing it was a cardboard tube about 11 inches long and had the Beatles pictures up and down the cardboard tube and yes you put it in your mouth and you hummed the Beatles song and the advertisement was hum along with the Beatles. So it was like a toilet paper tube. That's exactly right. <laughs> yes. Wow. All of this sounds just like so much fun for a kid. Like, like we've got two kids in the front row. Doesn't that sound fun, guys? Like a Beatle twig, right? Yeah. We're gonna adapt to that. Yeah, exactly. No. I mean, what a what a thrilling adventure. <laughs> well, and then you wonder sometimes. I always think when they first start making the items. And they start granting the license. They were probably worried more about quality and all this stuff. But maybe after it went along a while, they said, "Yeah, just let them do that twig." <laughs> let them do that so you know, I, I think the, the quality might have went down a little bit, but you know, who am I to say? 
I wonder if nowadays, though, that it almost is, is a kind of a, a 180 from the twig and the, the tube. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Twig and the In that stuff of, in that when the Beatles pair with somebody, it's a big deal now. So if you think about the Beatles Crate and Barrel, a uh, wall collection that was out last year. That was a collection of, like, I mean, a lot of it was posters that I think most of us have probably seen and maybe have on our walls already, but the fact that they were licensed through Crate and Barrel and framed nicely, they made it into a event. Also, the Beatles rock band, which now I think that was about 10 years ago now, but that was a huge, big deal. And that was, a, you know, even though it's more an event, it was still kind of a, an officially licensed Beatles product, but it was so and they make such a splash now when things come out. Is that a targeted marketing uh, technique by Apple, do you think? Probably. No. I mean, you're going to have quality stuff now. You're going to, with the Beatles name attached to it, you're going to have, I think, top of the line quality stuff, just like we were talking about the, the, the Beetle Mattel trucks and all that stuff. These aren't cheap little things yeah. that you're getting. You're getting quality items there that are going to hold up for a while. I think also with brands like Crate and Barrel, like that comes to a certain status. I think also like Stella McCartney's clothing, the Beatles line, that's also in that loop. But on the flip side, I think about Target. You know, Target has officially sanctioned Beatles t-shirts. And I sort of wonder, like, does that cheapen the the collecting experience where it's like, because I, so I have t-shirts that I bought in Liverpool, like, you know, on Matthew Street, like that say the Cavern Club. And I love that. And I, you know what, when I wear them, no, I'm like, I got this water pool. And then, you know, I have friends that buy their t-shirts at Target, and it's like, what really makes a difference, you know? And I'm not trying to be, like, snobby about it, but it cheapens a little bit. When I'm like, okay, you bought the same t-shirt, the same Beatles bag, and this happened. I bought it at Liverpool, the Beatles story, and I saw it at Target, and it really upset me. Anyway, does that cheapen the collecting experience we can buy the stupid bag of Target? I, I don't know if it cheapens it. it. You know, you can look at it, that it still gets their name out there in I'm the sure public. Apple feels that way. Yeah, sure. it gets their name in the public, and with this, they get more and more interest, in, especially in the younger generation, because all this is back out there. So in Apple's eyes, this is the best thing that ever happened. Do you have ideas for maybe our younger listeners who are second and third generation about buying first-gen merchandise? Well, if you look at it, I mean, there are wonderful user guides out there that will take you through piece by piece that says, if I want to buy this official Beatles tie tack from 1964, I mean, there is legit ones and there's quote fake ones out there. Many of these books will take you right through it and say, it's very easy to figure out. Look for this and look for this. And anywhere now, you know, we talk about the, inter the internet and how much that's has a proliferation of all that stuff out there. I mean, you can go out there now, and if you're looking at that TITAC, you just start searching for what's fake and repo, and you can find immediately what's right and what's wrong. So if you get out there on eBay and start looking at things, it's just like uh, Jim was talking about the other night, that if it's too cheap, you know why. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it's too high, wow, they're trying to make some money. There's always somewhere in the middle, but you can, you can take your time and research that which even adds to the Beatle experience itself, is learning new things about this type of thing. Yeah, that's true. One of the most fun things I think about collecting and looking at all of you know, the, the earlier items is that you get to, when you weren't there, you get to learn so much about it on the way. So it's such a wonderful experience. Even if you don't end up buying it, just the fact of, of finding out about these things, just it opens so much 
up to you know the things that you didn't see in your life. Which has been such a uh, wonderful experience here because everybody's got cases and pieces of stuff that like I'd never seen before. But the Beatles collecting experience has no boundaries. I mean, they're yeah, the twig and tube, example A and B. You know, there's just so much, and you know, it's really kind of going down the rabbit hole with it. For example, I think the first time I ever saw your social media, Terry, was when you were sharing the Wild Mile Beetle Beetle Bubble Bath commercial. Right. Which you'll see tonight. Oh, good. And I'm not going to spoil it because it is a theme. It's everything. It's everything. And if you're not on Terry's social media, it's a good because he posts in the first person about all of these items. Where it's like, I was a Beatles robe. You could have worn me in 1964. I was a Beatle too. You could have hung me. You guys, 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 you And I know eBay has helped, and the internet's helped, and all that stuff. But you know, back in 64 and 65, you had to go out. You had to go to Woolworths or JCPenney's or Ben Franklin, and you had to pick this stuff up and turn it around in your hands and look at underneath and all this stuff and get a feel for it. Now on eBay, everything's just a picture. Yes, you can take it and blow it up and look carefully at each of the stuff and, and see what it is. But when you go out, eat, even at the conventions or the flea markets or whatever, you can still pick up and look at that item to see exactly what it, what it is that you're looking for. Do you think that there is somewhere in some grandma's attic in, you know, Indiana or, you know, anywhere that there's a beetle item that has never been cataloged, never been seen? I know they're, you know, the, uh, not the Rumpo doll, but the other doll, nobody had a picture of it. But do you think there's some like random Beatles item that like will maybe rear its ugly head at some point? There, to me, there always has to be. I am constantly amazed how somebody finds something every week. Just found this item in my garage, and I'm thinking, how can you just find this? Yeah. But 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 they do all the time, and most of the time they're legit. They, they find, find Beatles recordings like, like they that. Do. Picture. Exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a holy grail of item that you would like to see one day that you've heard about? Uh, yeah, the only thing I, I would like to see is the infamous skateboard, which I'll, I'll show you tonight. Skateboard is, a, is, a, is an interesting story. They made it, they took, mag they took magazine ads out in trade magazines, they gave you model numbers, they had a nice public relations write-up all about it with photographs and all that, and I cannot find where one ever made a shelf yet. So something happened, I don't know if somebody tried it out and they broke an arm or whatever, or, or what it was, but they already got sued. Yeah. But they, and I can't find anyone, any high-end collector, any collector that has actually had one in their collection yet. So there's a, there's a story there somewhere that I can't dig out. But you've seen like a photo of it? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. And it was it was legit right from the company and all that that made it and everything. I mean, you don't go to that much trouble Put an ad like that in a trade magazine in 1964 if you don't have that item. And if anybody listening has that skateboard, uh, Terry Crane will pay you forty dollars <laughs> plus shipping <laughs> for the skateboard. Correct. <laughs> well, I I think that's all that we have for today. But I was wondering if anybody in the audience has any questions for us or for Terry. 
about Beatles merch or any or stories they like to share about their own Beatles merch? Favorite piece of Beatles merch? Anybody? Well, I have like I probably have 30, 35 L2s in different uh, you know conditions, and uh, some of the ones I've collected over the years. Some of them are modern. I know the other section values. I have a hard time finding how do you uh, class, classify the quality and get a general feel for what the value is. The question, the question is for our listeners, if they can hear, is um, how do you classify the value of vinyl as a collection? There is a, there is a grading scale. It's like everything's got the grading scale. And a lot of it, though, is just looking at it and going against the scale to think, is this an A or B or whatever that is. So, I mean, that, that's a tough one. I think if, if you've not done it a long time, it, it's to figure out what you think that kind of scale is. But there is a grading scale out there just for the record. And the records themselves, if you say, well, I'm not going to collect merchandise, I'm going to collect records. Well, you find out really quick in, in Beetle World that it's still not that simple. Uh, just the other day, I went on and I looked at the Hey Jude 45 record. Okay, that simple record comes out, you know, whatever, and, and there it is right there. Well, if you start getting into minor details, like, and start collecting, well, Hey Jude, that was printed in Scranton, or Hey Jude, that was printed in Jacksonville, and all that, there's like 24 different label variations of just that one 45 record. So you could, that could be your niche for your Beatle collecting is just KG, 45 records in the U.S. I mean, that's how detailed you can get in this stuff. I was going to say, you know, how does vinyl rank in memorabilia or collecting? Like, do you consider that a form of memorabilia? I would think in a, in a certain way it sure would because they've got that stuff everywhere like that. I actually have a question about that because I've been told that depending on what the vinyl is, okay, so like Mono copies of certain records or things with certain packaging or things with certain inner sleeves or obviously corporate covers like that. Those can be valuable. But that people think that they have valuable Beatles vinyl and there's so many millions of them. Yeah. The vast majority of it is not worth much at all. Like, probably correct. Yeah, because people think that you know the butcher cover is much rarer than it is. And we have a joke, a friend of mine has a joke in LA, it's like Every time she goes to a garage sale, it's like, oh, we're going to find a butcher cover today? And I'll be damned she did. <laughs> like, so, I think that's a great question, Susan. Well, one, my, my neighbor ran across the street not too long ago, and he's got the, the uh, uh, Meet the Beatles album. He goes, oh, my God, this is the original. I remember when I bought it, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, have you looked online yet at the different variations and all that? And, of course, he was sad because it wasn't what he thought, and th because, you know, some of those early albums were some of the most reproduced and all. Even in the late 60s, they started reproducing all that. So it's, it's, very, it's very hard, and it's an art in itself. It's like the records and the album covers and all that. It's an art in itself to know what you've got or know what you don't have. That's Sarah. Sarah. Well, I want, first I want to share my favorite memorabilia as a second generation fan. Yes. I love my, well, I have the John Lennon ones, the Claws dolls. I 
sweet. Those memories again. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But right. that's always something special. Yeah, yeah. But as a second generation fan, those dolls were like a big, huge deal. Mm -hmm. And that was probably one of the most expensive things I had ever bought at yeah. that time in my life that I put my own money that I saved. Yeah. They were pricey. Yes. Yeah. I'm a first generation. I saw them perform live. Yeah. And I didn't see my tickets. But I have probably 25 or more items. It's better to sell them as a group or to split them up. 25, you could probably split them up and little by little get rid of them. But I've seen some of these collections that they, they want to sell them. As a group, they don't want to split these things up and have to mess with eBay for a year trying to get rid of one and another. So, I, it's, if it's a huge collection, it may go like that. But on yours, you see, and yours, it could be just as interesting to put one of those out. You're going to do the research on it. You're going to see. I'm not going to be around. Well, <laughs> or somebody might, you know, to see about that and and to learn about it, so that when you put it out. You know, you're just that much more an informed consumer about that certain item. I think Sarah, I want to go back to something you said, Sarah, too, about how the applause dolls were a big deal for our I certainly remember that. Everybody for was, sure, yeah. of course. So it's funny because every generation sort of has something grail of themselves. I remember people collecting those. I'm going to go back to my Monkeys fandom for a second because for Monkeys fans in the late 90s, like having the TV box set, every TV show on VHS was like, the thing that, like, if, if you had it, you were, like, the toppy top fan. People worshipped you. Like, my best friend at the time had it, and I was like, oh, my God. There's still a, a box set from the late 80s called Listen to the Band box set, not even licensed, that was, like, the thing I always wanted, and I still want it. My friend was like, the other day, oh, I think I have an extra copy. You can have it. And I was like, like, I don't even have a CD player anymore, but I would love this box set. Anyway, so it's like, yeah, every, every, uh, same thing with the anthology box sets. Oh, yeah, the anthology. Those went away, so you didn't get it, and if you wanted it, and your friend had it, that friend was that friend you were going over to their house. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to see it. Want to yes. Watch it. Okay, so another comment that just that, that um, I realize there's price guides, that can, and you can do a lot of research and find out what your collection is worth. And, you know, I, over the years, figured out that my, my collection could have probably put my kids through college. Ah, but te technically. Okay, and there's, there's the rub. It, it, the price guide may tell you it's worth that much. If nobody's willing to pay you that money for that, it is not worth one red cent. Exactly. Somebody has to be willing to pay you that. So the price guide is just that, it's a guide. And so, again, back to, like I said before about the records, people think that that was valuable stuff, and technically yes, but technically no. So I think that there's there's a double-edged sword here with collecting memorabilia and thinking it's valuable, but I think the joy of collecting memorabilia really comes in what it does for you. What the joy is for you. It's not about its value, particularly. It's not about its, um, you know, cost or, or what it could be sold for, which would lead to your heirs or anything like that. It's about the joy that it gives you while you own it. And I think everybody in this room who owns people's memorabilia will say that things they own in various ways and various pieces give them satisfaction and joy and happiness, and that's what it's really about. No doubt. You know, you had mentioned earlier about uh, seeing products and starting that you walk somewhere else and that whole uh, yep. and stuff. Do you think you ever thought you saw like a 15-year-old kid with a shirt on the wheel and wonder, do they actually know any songs? Oh, wow. Well, that's... 
a great question. I think Eric and I can both relate to that because I certainly have gotten that before. Um, I've gotten asked when I've worn Beatles t-shirts. Oh, I mean, automatically it's, oh, how do you know them? You're way too young. And it's something that I would never, I would never say or assume of a, a child younger than me. I think that, you know, I've seen so many kids come through here today and I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. They have a John Lennon shirt. Like, they love John. You know, I'm, I, I personally would never. The, the thing about the, you know, things that are offered at Walmart, Target, or places like that is it's not necessarily a cheapening, but it's an, a widening of inclusivity. So you can, uh, you know, enter the Beatles fandom at any price level. You can enter it because you see cool art in a Target on a t-shirt for Sgt. Pepper. You're like, that's amazing. What's that? I want to wear that. And that can get you in. So I feel like as long as it's it's relatable back to the actual Beatles. I mean, there's there's some bad stuff out there that's not actually licensed. But you know, once once you know, if you if you see it and you buy it and you can see the connection to the original band, that's a way in. And this community is huge and it's only getting bigger. And I think the way that you do that is by just having these things around and having them on offers so that, you know, if you're a parent and you buy it for your kid, okay, that's one way in, but if you're a kid and you see it and you want it, well, you know, it's available to you too. You don't have to be searching eBay or, you know, Craig Merrill or anything to find find that item that might get you in there. So I wanted to share that for us, it gives us joy to know that our nephews and nieces and second generation have embraced a lot of the songs, and they, in Memphis, were able to see some cover bands, like the Mersey Beatles or somebody, and so it really brings them and us as a group together, so it's a wonderful family experience. But also our nephew asked me about purchasing a brick from Strawberry Fields. He um, found, came across it online. I would never have seen it. It wasn't available in a retail kind of thing, so. We bought a brick, and I don't know if you have any insight into that. Yeah, what about like buying something that's on site? How do you? Yeah, I do have a piece of the cash. All right, we have people who need to know, Terry. How do you know if that's real? Well, that's more of <laughs> DNA in the soil. You testing? No, I don't. Well, probably not. You still have to be a little bit careful, I think, with that kind of stuff. And my, my, own, my example of that, right now, in the last month, all I've seen on Facebook is the people selling the stage from Woodstock. All right, well, if you, if you see that, if you see that, read the comments below. When, they, when the guy comes up there and says, buy the stage from Woodstock, the comments are wonderful about how it, it's, they don't, nobody thinks it's real because the stage is blah, blah, blah. So go ahead and tell us. And I'm like, I actually know that guy. There you go. Uh, like Susan said, I worked on the Rhino Woodstock anniversary releases, and we tried to work with that guy, and that is, that's actually the stage. Okay. He bought it. So, story, sorry, this is a total digression. If you're curious about what happened on the stage at the Woodstock, is they hauled it away, and then they, somebody took it upstate to the Finger Lakes, to one of the resorts up there, and they made, I believe it was like a bocce court or something with it. Or maybe it's like an indoor basketball court. Something, they repurposed the lumber. And so that that resort was going, undergoing res uh, renovation. And this guy found out about it and was like, they didn't really realize what the stage was, but he did. 
And he said, you know, if you don't want the lumber, well, I'll take it. You know, I'll pay you this much for it. And he got the, the stage from Woodstock. And now he's making jewelry and all that kind of stuff from it. And it's legit. Okay. It's amazing. The Strawberry Hills Wreck is extremely legitimate. It was done by Julia Baer when they decided to repurpose the Strawberry Hill building, which was absolutely beautiful. It was a shame. They decided to tear it down. But Julia Baer shared the whole thing. If you ordered it, you ordered it from her website. You've got a lover of authenticity. You've got the box that the brick came in. I can't even imagine how much Lena bought it for me last year. It cost to ship a brick from a lot. <laughs> We <laughs> bought it for Cameron's a lot. And you buy it directly from the strawberry field. That's not, I mean, you pay down for the And you get the t-shirt that goes with it and the coffee mug that goes with it, too. So it is the license product. Nice. Love it. Anybody well, else? Sarah. Okay, so bought items and I look in the price guide and I go, okay, I have the fake tie tack, I have the fake hairbrush. But you know, I still like it. <laughs> well, exactly. my whole point on about some of that stuff is it may be fake, but some of that fake stuff was still made 50 plus years ago. Yes. I mean, it may be fake, yeah. but it's old. It's, it's still great stuff. Right. So, and it's unique. And it's unique. That's right. So the fakeness makes it unique. It's not like I set out to buy it. I bought other stuff, and then this it was a lot on eBay or whatever. So this was thrown in. And so then I look, I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is the real thing. I'm like, darn it. Like, for half a second, I'm like, well, boo. And I'm like, you know what? This looks pretty cool in my collection. Yeah. I don't really care that it's not the official thing. And one of my perfect examples, if you look at in my case over there at all the stuff, if you look at the Beatles hairspray over there, that is fake. But it was so cool looking at so the way it sets into there, I just left it in there. Yeah, I could still give somebody joy 50 years ago exactly. that they bought a Beatles hairspray Well, can. that can is fake. They did really make Beatles hairspray, but it's just not that can. Yeah. Again, I, I collect teen magazines from the 60s, and I call myself the island of this bit teen mags. A lot of my friends won't take them unless they're pristine. I like the ones, like I have a, a, a Beatles magazine where somebody drew devil horns on the day part five. And I love it. I want it. I'm like, give me your ripped off teen mags, like, because they have a lot of personality. You know, kids that have written in them. Um, you know, so it's just, it's what it means to you. And those are, those are valuable to me. And the, it's not just about the Beatles, but it's about the joy that that item gave somebody else yes. also, and you see it. And I would suggest going over to Sarah's table because all of these, these uh, official fan club um, items, yeah. they show that same feeling yeah. of, of love, you know, being so well loved for so long. Well, with that. Ooh, yes. June has a quote. John Lennon said that you're not really dead until the last person who remembers your name says your name for the last time. So as long as we keep wearing the memorabilia, purchasing the memorabilia, caring about the memorabilia, John lives on. I love that. Thank you. Thank you so And we are back for our last segment of the podcast. As always, our favorite Beatles obsession of the moment. Allison, what's yours? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I think a week or so ago now, I so I've, I've done it before, but I haven't done it in a long time. I went to see Hard Day's Night in theaters, which oh. was so much fun. Of course, like... 
Iran and and no offense to any first gen fans listening. This is not you, I bet. But of course, I ran into a guy right away who is like, well, I saw this in theaters in 1964 and you're too young to blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Other than that, it was really fun. There were a lot of kids there with like their parents and grandparents. And I think they were seeing it for the first time. The weird thing about the screening was that one of the channels and the audio tracks was muted. So you were only getting like the vocals really loud in all the songs. You couldn't really hear the instrumentation. Hold, please. So that was really strange, but it was very cool. I had a great time. And if you haven't seen it, have you seen it on a, the big screen, right? Yeah, I saw it when it came out and I guess 2014 for the 50th anniversary when they put it out in 4K for the first time. Oh, yes. I, I saw it then too. Yeah, and it was at the Film Forum in New York. It was it was I amazing. went to that. That was before we knew each other. Oh my God, we might have been there the same day. Oh my know. God. That's so weird. Uh, that would be crazy. It was so fake. I know. That's insane. Did you love it as much as you do the first time? Oh, my God. Of course. Every time I see it, I notice something different and I laugh at something different. And it's like I get like another reference or, or something about it, you know, and that's always really fun to like just see what changes from each viewing, I guess, as I get ugh, older or whatever. <laughs> Well, I mean, the great thing about Hard Day's Night, I think, as opposed to many of the other Beatles films, is that a lot of people rated a top 100 films of all time. It's in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, it was really a well-done, well-written film. I feel like the more you understand the world, the more you get when you watch this film. So there's always something to pick up there. The jokes are so fine-tuned. They do such a perfect melding of who the Beatles were in real life, but with this heightened, you know, comic persona that they were able to put on, it's just brilliant. Actually, the friend I was with told me something that I didn't know, which was that the day they filmed Ringo's, you know, like walking by the water scene with that kid with the camera and stuff, he was super hungover that day. I didn't know that. (laughs) I'm not surprised, but... (laughs) Just a harbinger of the things to come in the 70s and the 80s. My favorite Ringo is 70s, 80s Ringo, like the the Ringo Ringo. that Ringo doesn't remember. Exactly. I love that Ringo. So, but no, I was, yeah, it was great. 10 out of 10, would see again, will see again, will see many, many, many more times, but it's always fun to see in the theater. I loved it. Anyway, Erica, what is yours? In the spirit of Terry Crane and the holidays, I was re-listening to this and I was thinking, hey, what could I buy on eBay that's like super expensive? Like what's the most expensive thing I could buy? And like I kind of had like the pinball machine in mind, like something, you know, or some autographed guitar or something like that. Yeah, something you could give to your best good friend, Allison, I know. Yes, well, maybe you want this too. What I found was a painting. And the painting is called Jesus Tries to Cheer Up McCartney with Lamb Chop. Uh, 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 oh, oh, what? It's selling (laughs) on eBay for 257,000 US dollars. Wait, is it selling on eBay or is it listed on eBay for that much? Listed. The artist has in the listing declined 150,000 offer. Oh, wait. Wait, okay. So somebody offered this person $150,000 and they declined it for this painting? Apparently. The painting is very sad. Paul McCartney sitting in a chair with his dog. And there's a picture of John and Yoko and their wedding behind him. And I guess that means he's sad about Yoko. And then there's Jesus trying to cheer him up. Holy fucking God. And with lamb chop 
Wait, so Lamb Chop, the puppet. You know, like Sherry Lewis, yeah. Oh, my God. So there's an angel with wings, and there's, I guess, Jesus sitting there next to him who looks a lot like Jack Black's Jesus with a Lamb Chop puppet on trying to console sad-faced Paul McCartney who's moping in his white sports socks with these pictures of Yoko behind him. Oh, the picture of John and Yoko has an X through it. Yoko is X'd out. That's not okay. What the hell? There's a lot going on. So I looked into this a little bit because I was curious who would make this. And the author's name is Kata Billups. And she is a painter who loves to apparently explore rock stars and Jesus in the same painting. Somebody must have actually offered $150,000 for this, but this is absurd. I have questions. Okay, so first of all, the dog is like a German shepherd. It's not even like Martha. It's her dog. Um, it's the artist's dog, apparently. Oh, my Christ. Okay. And then Paul is like 67 Paul. Yep. And, and super sad. Who's sitting beside him? There's like a guy. That's Jesus. He's got the lamb chop on him. Holy shit, lamb chop. Um, yeah. th- that's Jesus looks like he skateboards in the 90s. Sure like does. that doesn't look like the Jesus I've ever seen. So this artist has a lot of different paintings, a lot of Rolling Stones paintings, a few other Beatles paintings, Dylan, Mick Jagger, Elvis, Pixie, and John Lennon High. Personally, I think I'd buy a painting of Jesus and Keith Richards, but that's just me. I kind of like the Beatles met Jesus by the pool. If you go to the artist's full catalog on eBay, you can find a bunch of different things. And one of them, for only $2,800, I must say, is the 1964-65-ish Beatles on a beach with a girl in a bikini and a beach ball and Jesus. As the good Lord intended, apparently. Maybe. I mean, that, that's, that's how I've seen it depicted in all my teen magazines. Yeah. Jesus is always there. These paintings are pretty detailed. I wonder what sets this one apart for, you know, its price tag. I don't know. Maybe it's the combination of Paul McCartney and Jesus and Lamb Chop. And Lamb Chop. You got some star power going on there. That's my obsession this week. This artist, Kata Phillips, and her Jesus rock and roll paintings. Holy shit. All right, mm-hmm. great. <laughs> well, there's your last minute gift idea, folks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just uh, kind of everything that Terry just told you, you're now going to, uh, to buy these amazing paintings. Sell all your Remco dolls, take the money, yeah. buy it at this. Yeah. Remco dolls do not even compare to these these fabulous works of art. Yeah. And on that note, I think we're going to get going. I think I think that's a good wrap up there. <laughs> Thanks for listening to BC The Beatles. As always, subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. And give us a rating and review so other Beatlemaniacs can find us. Yes, and please, please remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have a lot of big things coming up, so you don't want to miss it. And we'll be posting photos of that painting and more And the Beatles store. I took a yes. video tour of the Beatles store. I'll post that soon. Hell yes. Yeah. We're going to post all that from this episode and beyond. And remember, please, you can always email us at bcthebeatles at gmail.com. We love, love, love getting your emails. And we'll see you, God, in 2020, Yeah, I guess. we'll see you next year. <laughs> see you next year. Bye. I'm BC Beatles. Bye.